Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you want eight incredible craft beers for only £14, then listen up, because Beer 52, the UK's number one craft beer club, are shipping themed monthly boxes of small batch craft beer straight to your door. You can get £10 off a case, and it's absolutely delicious. Make a great birthday or Father's Day present uh, using the code FULHAM. You'll also get their award-winning magazine and a snack. Just head to beer52.com and enter the code FULHAM. On our way, on our way, it's Fulhamish Podcast. My name's Sammy James. This is your route mapper through the choppy waters of the championship playoff chase. Thank you for downloading this week's episode and every good captain needs his crew. Joining me tonight is Farrell Monk. Good evening, Sammy. Ben Jarman. Hello, listeners. And Dom Betts. <laughs> All right. Jack is going to be fuming with you. <laughs> I WhatsApp up him earlier, told him I had to do it to honour him while he's away in Vietnam. Yeah, he is uh, currently living it up on a beach, but probably distraught right now that he's heard you use his catchphrase. <laughs> well, it was a mixed week for Fulham this week. Uh, we went away to Derby, sixth place in the championship, but, but we relented that playoff spot and Sheffield Wednesday took it back off us. It was a good win at Craven Cottage on Saturday against a lively if slightly limited Ipswich Town team but unfortunately Sheffield Wednesday did one better and beat Newcastle so we stay in seventh spot for now I will start off uh, talking through those two games we're also going to look forward to the uh, Easter weekend uh, a busy time for Fulham Norwich and Aston Villa we face on Good Friday and Easter Monday respectively Uh, we're going to be discussing who we think our most important players are during the final five games of the season and we'll answer your questions at the end as well. Uh, But first of all, can we have some three-word reviews? Not Secretary Jack, but Farrell's in charge of the three-word reviews today for Ipswich Town. What's everyone saying, Farrell? It's your backup secretary here. Um, (laughs) There We've got uh, Soniskin's Kabanuko, which I've spent pretty much all day trying to figure out how to say. Uh, We've got Better Nelly Than Button. Which oh, I okay. thought was it. Yeah. Pretty much everyone else became a Newcastle fan. So everyone was just going on to Newcastle, Newcastle, my team, that kind of stuff. And that was pretty much all of them. Okay. So, uh, for, I mean, the review was basically about another team that weren't playing. <laughs> well, I think actually we had less three world reviews than normal. Uh, I think maybe everyone was very distracted by that game that took place at 5 30. Also, the Grand National. Did anyone, did anyone bet on one for Arthur? Nope. nope. No, I got Chase, uh, well, Cause for Causes, that is. Each way? Uh, yep. Oh, there we go. I, I had him in the um, sweepstake at work, so I only ever put a bet on the Grand National if I pulled them out of the sweepstake, so done all right there ah. with my one-pound bet. Pints on you. <laughs> so it was a convincing 3-1 victory over Ipswich Town. They were lacking a bit in genuine quality, the goals from Ayite, Malone, and Johansson, but you can only beat what was in front of you. Uh, and Dom, I'll start with you. It was a... It was a pretty comfortable win on Saturday. Yeah, I didn't but... think we played that well at all, really. Okay, honest. interesting. Like, well, maybe and we can we can play a lot better than we did. Um, but obviously, the main things that everyone saw going to the game was the lineup. Oh uh, yeah, Bettinelli obviously coming in for the drop button after his. I don't even know what to describe his performance against Derby was, but and then then Maddell coming in for Tim Ream. So everyone was really excited with the lineup. I was bar Malone playing. I thought that was that's our best team on paper. But yeah, I think we didn't really need to try the hard in the game. There wasn't really that many chances from Ipswich, apart from the save obviously Betnani makes in the first half, uh, the, the point blank save he makes in the second half, and then the goal. So I think it yeah, was just a comfortable win, really. I'd slightly disagree. I actually think Ipswich had quite a few chances, and I think it could have been a very different game had they taken one of those at 2-0. What did you make of it? I thought that McGoldrick and Sears in particular had... Michael Mardle and Callas, to an extent, stretched quite a bit. I do actually have to agree with Sammy on here for, for once. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> um, but I did think that although the, the first half was near enough total domination, as it has been for long periods of the season for Fulham, that Ipswich had 
a lot of chances, a lot of... And it wasn't just half chances, shots from the edgy area, like crossing to the box that could have come off. They, they were pretty relentless for a good 20-minute 20, 20 period in the second half. The one thing that... Um, that really did change the game up because they they played quite defensively in the first half. They tried to they set up to try and frustrate us and try and hit us on the counter attack, as a lot of teams try and do to Fulham. And then obviously it didn't go well for them with two 0 at half time uh, to Fulham. And then they brought on Tom Lawrence at half time to kind of and he, he's a he's a natural striker, I believe, um, but he was playing as sort of like an attacking mid. And the amount of times so that he was cutting out balls in the middle of the park and setting up counter attacks. And I think that was a bit of a good substitution for them because they had three or four good chances. And Bettinelli certainly kept us in the game for that period of time. Ben, what did you make of the news before the game that Button had been dropped for Marcus? I think I was slightly surprised because we've gone the whole season now with Jukanovic sort of sticking by Button's side despite him not playing particularly well all season and dropping a number of clangers against a whole host of teams throughout the course of what is turning out to be a really good season for us. So, yeah, like I said, I was quite I was quite surprised that he actually dropped him. Um, but nonetheless, it's quite good to show to see that he has actually got the balls to do it. Um, and if anything, it sort of sends a rocket up the rest of the team. Um, we also need to note that Ream dropped out as well for Maddal um, after what could be described as uh, a shocking performance against Derby. Am I going on a limb that I actually didn't think that Marcus had that great a game? He was voted... Man of the match. And yeah, don't I get thought me wrong. that was ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. I thought that he pulled off some good stops, but nothing that David Button wouldn't have done. And I thought that his distribution was just as. And all the fans left by the time they scored their goal, then because he's at fault for their goal. If yeah. but I said if Button makes that mistake, they're calling for capital punishment to come back. Yeah. Because <laughs> like I don't understand how Ben Henley was nominated for man in the match, uh, even voted for man in the match. I said Chris Martin. So I thought he held up the ball superbly well. Chris Martin was brilliant. I said Chris anyone Martin in the entire midfield could have won man match over Bettinelli. Yeah. I think Fulham fans are just being stupid as always when it well, comes to man match decisions. Anyone that comes over to the, the fans and claps them really, really closely every single time, I, if I did that every game from the subs bench and then played a game, I'd probably win man of the match that game. You're forgetting these fans are the same ones that voted Jamie O'Hara man of the match about 10 times last season <laughs> he's a great so, player so, so what can we take from these and the points? ones that are disappointed that Dan Byrne left last year so Ben who do you reckon should have been man of the match in your opinion I think there was a few contenders in my eyes I thought Stefan Johansson had a great game uh, his first goal in quite a while can't exactly remember when uh, he last scored but Burton I think Steph, Steph's yes, last goal was against Burton, Burton. Albion. yeah on the but, um, first of also I'd have potentially gone Floyd Ayute would you agree Yep, 100%. I would have gone Floyd Aite. Three goals in his last two. Eight goals and five assists uh, this season. But I think outside of that, he offers so much more. Like The way he's so incisive with the ball, uh, the way he creates space um, for others, the way he just runs in behind constantly. is a constant threat in, in uh, other teams. Um, and I think when he's back in the side, we look on the whole much, much better. And it's just unfortunate that he's missed around 10 to 15 games this season. Yeah, where injury. could have we been? Had he been fit for all the games this season you you do wonder because he seems to have the making of a top top class attacking midfielder I think that also that Aite does link up with the rest of the team really really well the same way that Aluko does the one person I think that really stood out for me and he does come into a little bit of flack for his defensive abilities but I thought Scott Malone was just almost perfect on, on Scott Saturday. Malone's great when he doesn't have to worry about anything else apart from defending yeah but do you know what I mean like if if the way Ipswich set up made made Malone look brilliant because no one actually got at him the whole game. Mm. All he had to do was think about how far up the pitch he could get, which is why he scored. We've discussed many times this season the the easiest way to stop Fulham is just stop either Fredericks or Malone or crossing just, the halfway line. Scott Malone, yeah, be <laughs> not not literally, not like before the game actually attack him. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Because then we just bring in Ryan Sessegnon. That yeah. would actually be a bad plan. Yeah. Um, lovely goal for the second, though. Build-up yeah. play. Uh, the back is it back hill from Ite? It was a back hill yeah. from Ite. Absolutely which is why sublime. He man of the match, of course. And then um, lovely finish from Scott Malone. That is what we can do to teams, though. We can devastate them with quick passing play like that. I think that was actually for me one of my favourite Fulham goals of the season. I don't know if you guys would agree. Yeah, I think I agree with that. The, the way we've overloaded the, the sort of the side of the pitch, something that we learned after the Spurs game, the tight interchanges and then a good finish. Um, felt like that little 
blipper against Derby and then the, the sort of really inconsistent run of results beforehand has sort of kicked us into another gear in patches, not overall as Dom says. Yeah, I think my favourite goals just won't be changed all season and that's even if there's a goal that gets us into the playoffs, I still think the third goal... Matt in, Smith versus <laughs> Preston. Yes, that goal. The, the great, <laughs> no, um, Aluko, sorry, against Preston. No, uh, obviously second <laughs> on the second against Newcastle. Because I, I remember thinking, like, what is actually happening? Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. And um, the other change uh, that was, apart from Martin coming back into the side, Michael Mardle uh, in for Tim Ream. And as you said, he had a pretty poor performance, Tim Ream, uh, against Derby. But I think... Mardle really, really seems to struggle against McGoldrick and Sears, who aren't exactly the most potent uh, attacking force in the championship. Uh, so much so that he was brought off as a substitute after around an hour, which, notwithstanding that he had an injury, it was not a great vote in confidence from Slav. Well, I think McGoldrick's the one that gave us the most um, the most problems when we played up at Portman Road. Um, he came on at half-time and completely changed the game. He put Fulham under a lot of pressure because he's one of them players that you can't really predict what he's going to do next. And he is quite physical. Probably their standout player on the weekend was McGoldrick just because he catches the eye a lot. Um, and Sears is actually pretty quick, um, but mm. rather ineffective. Uh, not not a great finisher, but um, managed to get score one against us last season after about 20 seconds, didn't he? I wasn't in my seat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Missed you think it. you are, Don Betts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to take your mantle. Uh, and then, as we said, we mentioned this second half period, and I think Ipswich had a lot of good chances, and, and Marcus Bettesnelli did well uh, to, to save them, and then really the game was turned on its head. I think it was Ipswich's fourth or fifth chance in a row. Uh, Malone cleared it, and within about 45 seconds, uh, Johansson had spun Christoph Berra. What a lovely turn on his axis that was. Christoph Berra spinning towards the Hammersmith end, then a nice low finish to make it three. And after that, it's just plain sailing. Yeah, I didn't really... As you, as I said earlier, where I said we, I felt so confident, although they had all these chances, I never felt like they were actually going to score. And I think, the obviously, that the third goal just... Then it's all their confidence, and they know they're not really going to get anything out of the game. Because obviously, if they score it, when they do score it, the two 0 is a very dangerous scoreline to have. If they make it two one, then it's a totally different game, especially with a manager like Mick McCarthy. Mm. You do make a good point that um, although um, they did create a lot of chances against us, that you didn't feel like they were going to score. And I do, to a certain extent, do actually buy into that. I do. Looking back on it now, I do think that I felt that too. But the worrying thing is that better teams would punish us for it. A la Tuesday against Derby, pretty much. They punished us for every single mistake and every chance that they had. I think we were slightly pr more pragmatic against Ipswich than we were against Derby, though. It was Derby we were incredibly naive in the way that we went out oh, yeah, the yeah. game. and We overcommitted a lot and we left a lot of gaps and we were playing a ridiculously high line, something we'll get into in, a, mm. in, a, in the next half of the pod, but... I mean, against uh, Ipswich, we covered ourselves quite well. I thought uh, McDonald had a good game. I mean, he's what, he's for me, he's what makes our team tick. I mean, yeah. without him, I don't think our team works because there's no one else who can play that position as well. You can argue Scott Parker could come in, but we've seen when he started over McDonald at times at the beginning of the season or with McDonald, it hasn't worked. And I, he's so critical because he just he allows, obviously, Stefan Hansen to play a lot further forward. He sort of, like, gives the defence a bit more cover and... Yeah, I think we'll get on to it later, who's obviously our most important players in, in in between now and Sheffield Wednesday and possibly the playoffs. But yeah, putting an early shout in, I think Ken McDonald is just so, so critical to how we play. Well, let's move on to Derby County on Tuesday because I think Ipswich was quite a routine game and maybe you could accuse me of concentrating on the defeats more than the, the wins. But I don't think there was too much of note in Saturday's game, really, apart from a few incidents. But Derby... Well, it didn't feel like a terrible team performance, and maybe you'll disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But to me, it just seemed like one littered with individual errors. I could actually possibly say that all four goals were down to just one or two individuals on the night. Uh, before we get your boys' analysis on the game, uh, Farrell, you got some three-word reviews. Loads came in for this, absolutely I mean, loads. It was funny, we were discussing before the podcast how many more three-word reviews there were for Derby than there was for Ipswich. I just think probably we have like a really angry following. And so when things go badly, they, they're Twitter happy. Everyone loves a moan. Yeah, absolutely. So three billion people had um, 
David Button related stuff and obviously we're looking at uh, replacing him so the Aussie Cottager said warm up bets uh-huh. uh, Liam Ballard put bring back bets but I don't know whether they're actually talking about Fulham or the Fulhamish podcast so we did listen to them and Dom is now back yeah Dom oh, yeah. is returned <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. not really good English but still <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the one that actually made me laugh the most which is actually quite silly Harry, Blake- Harry Blakely said what the tits <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Harry. <laughs> um, Doesn't really uh, sum up too much what happened in the game, but you can get a gist. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good review. I think I saw that one on the back page of the Evening Standard. <laughs> and Alex Power, big friend of the pod, uh, he put missed you seventh, which I quite liked as well because we were only outside. We were in, only inside the playoffs for a matter of about half an hour or so. Yeah, I saw another one that was uh, seventh is home. Oh, yeah. yeah. And also I saw one that was um, push the button which is exactly uh, what Slav did on Saturday, did push the button indeed. Dom, you were up there. What was, what was your analysis overall? I think Derby's game plan was just spot on. Okay. I mean, especially in the second half as well, when route, when route changed, uh, pressed us a lot higher up and we just didn't really know how to deal with them. But yeah, I think, I think um, we kept the ball well, we retained possession really well, but we just weren't very clinical with it at all. Like We were all over them in the first half completely. And yet we were just 2-1 uh, down. And it, I, just, I didn't really know what was going on. But yeah, Floyd Eite, obviously he scored for us twice in the game. But he still, I didn't, still didn't feel like we had really any key chances where, oh, we've just missed that. And Button, for me, is at fault for three of the goals. There's the first one, which you can argue who's quite at fault here when the ball's going over the top. Is it, is it Malone, I think, on... And then it's and it's like whose fault is it? Is that maybe there's a lack of communication in between the two of them? Obviously, um, is it Nugent who scores the first? Yeah, because yeah. he, yeah, he scored the first three, so he lobbed it over David. But and then what was the second mistake he made? I just I've forgotten already. Second mistake is um, kicking it straight at kicking Nugent. It straight at Nugent. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Yeah. yeah, I was like, you can literally hit that ball anywhere. There, there are a number of there, there are a number of ways. There's a, that it can there's a brilliant the diagram. Either. Whoever did that on the Fulhamish. Uh, yeah, if you want to Twitter. see a um, detailed analysis of where David Button could have kicked the ball for the third goal, just uh, head to our Twitter. That was my Microsoft Paint job <laughs> at its finest. And I think his third mistake is the he's, worst. He throws it really. straight to Craig Bryson, who then puts it through oh. for Johnny Russell, and he's not even back on. So like we goal. can see a hat trick to David Nugent, who scored two league goals all season. And also David Nugent, who broke the offside trap. With his seer- yeah. He's always been known searing for his pace. searing pace. <laughs> but are the Fulham defence a bit guilty of tending to play quite a high line? I mean, I think lots of times this season we've seen Fulham get away with it and, and a lot of the goals do come in from balls in behind the defence. I know you could argue lots of goals come like that, but I always think Fulham maybe play slightly too high for the fact that we don't have searing pace in defence. I think it's, it's a case of... Um... We play a very high-risk, high-reward style of football, and we, we always will do under Jokanovic, and he's done the same at Watford, and he's done the same wherever he's been. But um, I feel like um, in Derby in particular, we had our lineup so high and so exposed that that was our problem there. If you if you look at the um, the 90 minutes on, on uh, Fulham FC TV, Malone and Fredericks are almost always um, halfway in the opposition's half. And then you have McDonald and two very isolated centre-backs. And for the most part, you've always got Nugent and one other circling around them. And as soon as that ball breaks loose, it's immediately two on two. And that's where the goal's going to come from. And, and to your point, and Dom's point just quickly beforehand, the, the communication between Button and all of the defence has been a, a massive talking point throughout the whole season, especially with the goal that we conceded against Leeds where there was a clear communication breakdown despite the fact that Ream sliced it into his own net. But then you've got that goal against Derby and there's been countless other mix-ups where we've had to save ourselves at the last. Um, it does feel like we're a little bit erratic at the back and um, where we sort of relied on Callas earlier in the season and, and praised him, and rightly so, for his sort of steadfast nature and his being cool and calm at the back, he's now turned sort of into like a rash young defender again. And I don't know why that is. Maybe he needs another partner next to him, but... Um, we hope that can improve only in the coming weeks. I mean, it might be Jukanovic saying push up, push up, high risk, high reward, that kind of stuff. And, it, you know, it, you can't say, like, we should stop doing that because it has worked well for us this season. But we do need to be a bit smarter going forward because good teams exploit it so well. There are three games now that I, I can think of that spring to my mind where 
we haven't dominated them and the other team have created lots of chances and that's the 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 reading game uh the the second leg if you can call it that um this derby this derby game and there was one more i had in my mind that I, um where they created a lot of chances against us and all they had to do was just pump it over the top not for particularly good balls, but they exploited us and it was quite easy. And I think that other teams have been naive and they haven't done their research and gone, we should pump the balls over the top. When I watched both those games and it was so easy for other teams to do that. But we've been kind of lucky in the sense that other teams haven't worked that out yet. Two of the games you mentioned, Chris Martin's not playing and I think that's a massive key. Everyone, a lot of fun fans have a lot of criticism for him for the way he sort of handled the whole Derby loan contract situation, but... If we're gonna if we're gonna play, especially away from home, we need him up front because mm. up front against Derby, there were so many times when we were putting balls in the box or attempting to put a ball in the box, no one was in the number nine position mm. where Chris Martin would have been, and it's like, I know you give him a lot of stick, but what he does for the team is so critical to the way we play. The amount of times he's bringing in the three players in behind him, whether it's mm. Kearney, Aluko, Piazon, Cabano, etc., whoever, yeah. and I think. Saturday proved that because he was, I thought he was our best player on the pitch because he didn't score, but there was times where he was just running into the channels and opening up space for so much more of our players. And I think, as I said, we'll get on to who our most important players are, but I think Martin gets way too much stick and it showed why we missed him against Derby. Yeah. And also, we just don't ever beat a Gary Rout side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree there um, about Chris Martin. And he was a bit unfortunate not to, to get a goal because. If it wasn't for his, I mean, it was a really good shot. It doesn't seem that way when you look look back at the highlights. But the fact he was taking it sort of like running backwards. Um, oh, for Iete's first. For, yeah, for Iete's yeah, first. Shot. Yeah, it's, it is, it's a lot more difficult than it actually seems it is. And if it wasn't that, we wouldn't have got Iete's goal. Probably would have been a bit more difficult to break the deadlock. Um, he makes us so much... More, so much more difficult to play against mm. just because his sheer physicality up there and like Dom says he makes the ball stick and he brings others into play and he creates space and once he's out of that team then the focal point goes mm. the ball comes straight back at the defence much quicker than it would do if he was in the team and as soon as that ball comes back we're not a set up and we're under much more pressure than we should be I spoke about it briefly earlier on the season and I did raise it on the on the Twitter page at the time but I just want to pose it to the panel here but if you had to... The panel is ready. Panel. The, you know, <laughs> it's like Newsnight panel. Um, who would you prefer in this team right now? Would you pick Chris Martin or Dembele? Chris in... Martin. It's like, that's a, that's a, I don't, if you say Dembele, you just don't understand football. I think because I, Dembele, just, Dembele was too on, about him, mainly, I think. He wasn't much of a team player. No. And I think he's, he's, he was a great striker. Obviously, he scored plenty of goals and he scored even more this season. But... He just wouldn't fit in the system we play. And obviously, when you're trying to get promoted, you need players who fit the system you play. So I feel yeah. manager, when you set the certain statistics to find the right player you need. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, just I, pick the I, best player with the best <clears throat> rating. Mm. I mean, maybe you can say that I don't know anything about football, but I would <laughs> argue, actually, that I think I think just the quality of Dembele, for me, I would have him in this team. I totally get where you're coming from, that Chris Martin fits our system better, but I think when you have the quality of a player at potentially of a Dembele at your system. I think Jukanovic would have suited his system to fit in a player um, of Dembele's class. Undoubted talent, that's for sure. Um, I would have taken Dembele in five years' time, but not the not the Dembele I saw last season. I mean, you don't score that many goals by accident. I think Barcelona might take him in five years' time. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> um, but the amount of times Dembele would do something and it wouldn't come off and you would just... It was a constant... You would just see the rest of the team just going like this, with their hands up in the air, waiting for the ball to come to them because they're so far and open. And Dembele would quite regularly beat a defender two or three times, but then just his decision-making was just... I mean, to use a Don Betts football manager expression, his decision-making would probably be one out of 20, wouldn't it? There was, I think there was a reason why he only really scored one in 10. He was 19. Yeah, I know, I know. You're not going to have like someone that's... Really going to understand how to make proper decisions and bring in other people when they're 19 years old. And if they do, then they're a bloody exceptional talent. And you mm. like, we're not going to be able to hold on to them or get them in the first place, which is probably why we haven't been able to hold of Dembele. But because he would be the second choice striker in the team, I think, like, he would be the plan B. Our plan B would mm. be mine to hold the ball up and play it into the three behind. Yeah. And then later on, when the defender's legs are getting tired, you can bring on Dembele who's got a bit more pace. Do yeah. you think that he would do a, a Malone Sessignon? 
speaking about Jukanovic at the moment, do you think he would do a sort of rotation in between the two that you'd have Martin one game and then Dembele another? No, because yeah. uh, I wouldn't do that with a striker personally because as soon as you get one striker in the groove, then the other one falls out of it. So, mm. uh, And if, you're, if you know Chris Martin, and we've said this a million times on the pod, but as soon as he gets in that run of form, it's really he will stay in it for a while. Mm. But you wouldn't want to... I don't think you'd really want to swap in strikers one in, one out. Just... Also, uh, Martin's actually good at football and Malone's not. Yeah. So... <laughs> There's that. Do you not like Scott Malone? No. You've never mentioned it. <laughs> Back to the chase of the playoffs. So we've picked up three points out of six. Had you asked us that this time last week, I don't think anyone, any of us would have been particularly satisfied with that. But that's how it is. We're two points again behind Sheffield Wednesday. And when people look at the fixtures, they'll have seen the game against Newcastle and probably hoped that was one where Sheffield Wednesday would slip up. But it's, it's still... Plenty to play for uh, going into the final five, notwithstanding that result on Saturday by Sheffield Wednesday. Well, yeah, as long as we match our results until the final day, we're still in it. So, I mean, I can't see us really winning at Hillsborough personally because we just don't tend to win there apart from that cup game, what, like 2009 when Andy Johnson scored. But, yeah, we don't tend to have the greatest record against Sheffield Wednesday away. But, yeah, as long as we match their results, um, and I think we can, I know our fixture list is not the easiest but they're all winnable games like we're better away from home than we are at home and we've still got to play obviously Norwich and Huddersfield and Huddersfield aren't exactly in the greatest of form at the moment well we seem to be matching not just Sheffield Wednesday's result but everyone in the playoffs bar Reading who want to lose every game yeah they're in the playoffs with a minus goal difference I think that's absolutely hilarious yeah I mean we were speaking last week about what teams could potentially come up and challenge and there was a very vicious debate <laughs> uh, between Villa and Norwich. It does seem now, though, that if any team's going to capitalise on both Sheffield Wednesday and Fulham dropping points, it does look like Derby now. They're on a run of form and they picked up a very important three points at Gary Rowett's old stomping ground, which seemed inevitable from the outset. They're dangerous, aren't they? Mm. Very, very dangerous. I, a couple of weeks back, I was sitting here very comfortably thinking that we only way we could look is up. But now, after a couple, after a fairly inconsistent week and a and a very poor performance against Derby, that really we really let ourselves down. I feel like now we can, we have to look over our shoulder a little bit for them, um, and we're still discounting Preston, who are sitting only about four points back of us, aren't they? Although a bad defeat for them this weekend uh, yeah. at Leeds. It could have been quite handy had Preston won, because we'd have only been three points behind Leeds, if that had yeah. been the case. But regardless, it's going to be um, a tough set of games, and it all starts again in earnest on Friday, Good Friday, up at Carrow Road. Well... What a brilliant time to be going to Norwich. <laughs> yeah. uh, an unbelievable win uh, for the Canaries on Saturday over Reading. 7-1. Uh, if you didn't see it, it was 6-1 in the first half. We were talking about the Sky highlights last week. If you watch the highlights of Norwich Reading, every single highlight is a goal. Yeah, yeah. They're what, cramming it in. One goal every 20 seconds, I think they do it in. I mean, as, as difficult as it's going to be, heading to Norwich. That's going to give them a huge amount of confidence picking up such a big win against a top side. Admittedly, we speak about how how the hell are Reading in the playoffs given the negative goal difference and some of the performances they've put in this season. A lot of those goals, though, on Saturday for me didn't come from good attacking Norwich play. It was dreadful defending for all seven goals. I don't know if you agree with me on that. The only goal of any note was uh, Alex Pritchard when he, mm. he sort of lets the ball come over his shoulder and then rifles one into the top corner on the half volley. That but even that's, really come from, uh, even that's come from... Yeah, that was terrible in the midfield. I mean, Reading just seemed like every now and again the wheels fall off and then they just put them back on and carry on again. That's why, <laughs> that's why they've got such a bad goal difference. If they hadn't have lost 5-0 to us... Also, hadn't have lost seven one at the weekend. That's eleven goals they would have had back. That's a positive goal difference. I mean, they've capitulated twice, and that's why their goal difference is so bad. But even the guy that we talked to on the phone in the other day said that they're pretty bang average, and he's surprised how they've got in there. Well, they like, win every just win every home game one nil, don't they? Yeah, so that's basically yeah. what they do. They grind out these one nil results, which is really why they are where they are. But like, didn't they still have like fifty six percent possession yeah. in the game against yeah, Norwich? They did, yeah. Speaking of Norwich, I mean, obviously, there was a big hoo-ha on Twitter this morning when uh, Fulham said uh, tickets are sold out because they didn't take 
the biggest allocation they could because they only we only had 1500 tickets to sell where usually you get 2000 but Fulham only said 1500 and so not just been selling mm. the other tickets so yeah anyone who's planning to go I hope you've got one because there's okay. no way it's um probably one of the first times I can remember in a long time that Fulham have sold out a game outside of London so long before kickoff. Yeah, I mean, the one that maybe ring a bell was, did Brighton, first season we went down sell out? I know we brought like yeah. over 3,000 yeah, fans. Yeah, sold that out. Because yeah. that, I mean, that's the only one I really remember. But even that I think might have, because I remember getting a ticket quite late for that yeah. one. I went down to it. and Bring all the, as I said, the good old days of 14-15 bolting away, less than 200 fans there on that Tuesday <laughs> night. Norwich away in the FA Cup sold out, I think, as well. Yeah, 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 they we were did, doing, yeah. Do you know Because for once they were selling decent price tickets yeah. at Norwich. Yeah. Well, they were only 20 quid. Yeah, and they were yeah, doing that somewhere. weird thing of like you bought like three or four, you yeah. got like a discount. Mm-hmm. Oh, they think, did that at Derby, didn't they, this year? Yeah, it was what, yeah, because I think it was you bought like three or four, it was like only 18 quid, but if you bought it on Sunday, it's like 20 or something like that. Yeah. Do we see it being. How difficult game do we see it being on Friday up at Norwich? You've got to back Fulham's away record. But then again, it's never an easy place to go. At this stage of the season, you've no idea how anything's going to go. That's my pretty. That's how I'm summing it up. It's not a good time for betters. Never. <laughs> championship never is a never time a good time for league for betting. If you have an acker on in the championship, someone is going to absolutely mess it up for you. It probably in the 95th minute as well. And it's probably going to be Rotherham. <laughs> um, but like going to Carrow Road is never easy, although we do have a very good record mm. against Norwich overall. That's slightly faulted in recent years, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because we haven't won there since 13, 14. I know we've only yeah. played them like twice since, but... Yeah. Because that was what Scott Parker in like the 86th minute. Yeah. Because yeah. bar when I went to Hong Kong, I think that's the last away game I've missed. And I, so yeah, in 13, 14 was the worst. I, I missed two away games, we won both. Mm. <laughs> in the season we went down, I was like, brilliant. I think I only saw one other win and that was like in the league and that was Villa. I remember any others. And at the same time, Sheffield Wednesday um, host Cardiff. Potentially uh, could be a slightly tricky game. Cardiff not got too much to play for. If, if Sir Hall's on form again, then he'll definitely um, give him a problem or two. Well, we hope so, because I, I hope he has the same form he had against us, because he was unplayable a lot of that time. Do you know what I think is quite mad about Norwich? is when we hosted them in October... Uh, Norwich came to Craven Cottage top of the, top of the league and bang in form. And mm. really, ever since that game, um, I know they didn't lose to us, but then they went on a terrible, terrible run after that and have never really recovered since. It is a side that should be far higher up the league. And I guess Saturday kind of showed that. Yeah, they've got the uh, the sort of perennial championship in between the squad where they're not good enough for the ch- for the Prem, but they're too good for the championship. But unfortunately, they're... The way they were playing under Alex Neil wasn't quite good enough. But then you look to players like Cameron Jerome and Naismith and probably a couple of others in there who could probably cause some damage on the weekend mm. and, and did this weekend, although Jerome only got a couple of minutes towards the end yeah. of the game. But still scored. Squad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got Wessie Houlihan. Yeah, yeah. Houlihan's the one. I mean, they've been playing like this for quite a while now, but I think their game plan has always been like pass it to Houlihan and let him do what he wants, really. Whose goal, actually, the finish was actually very, very nice. Like, he saw the keeper coming out and he just lobs it over him, doesn't mm. it? Like cushions into that the second roof. I do think you're being slightly count. harsh about their attacking play. I think the, all the goals that I've seen, they're actually not bad. There's only the last two or three that's showing how many goals they scored are actually real scrappy, crap defending. I think they're all taken well. I yeah, just think they were all... Six, you don't get 6-1 up. Well, you don't go in 6-1 up at half-time if the other team is defending well, no. do you? No, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> and then moving Fair on point. to Villa on Easter Monday... Uh, Fulham have a slight advantage here. I don't know if you guys have seen the championship fixture list over the weekend, but Villa play on Saturday. They're the only team. I think it's Villa-Rotherham on Saturday. Oh, so they don't play Saturday. <laughs> well, no, but Villa versus Rotherham on the Saturday and then a slightly earlier kickoff against us under 48 hours later. So I imagine Steve Bruce will be pretty upset about the schedule in there. I don't know quite how that's happened he's got a big enough squad hasn't he after all he spent on in January so, uh, how many strikers have they got seven yeah, eight. seven strikers something like that and then Codger's going to play at centre back at the weekend Codger has scored uh, 19 goals but then their their top scorer after that has only scored four and it's and, not McCormack it's is it it's, McCormack's got three 
Hogan's got one for them, and then all the rest have got like three or four. They haven't got a big striker, so if Codger's on form that day, we could. Or Barton could... can just throw the ball to him again. Yeah. Only only Rotherham have scored less goals than Villa away from home, I saw. 13 goals all season away from home for Villa, which is... Why are you qu- saying this? <laughs> quite unbelievable. I'm just st- stating facts. <laughs> but I think both games we sort of have to treat with a fair amount of caution. I mean, especially the Norwich game, I think we have to treat that the same as we would treat the Derby game, but sort of learn from the mistakes we made against uh, Derby County and don't press as high and don't play Scott Malone, then we'll be fine. I don't mind playing Scott Malone as long as they play Cess in front of him like they did for Newcastle. Yeah. That was a really good tactic. He, he just, yeah, because because he'll be the home team, they'll be attacking him down the left flank and as soon as he has to do any form of defensive work, I just I just don't trust it and he can't cross the ball either. Every time I've seen him try to hit the ball, it just doesn't go in the box or it hits someone. Or he scores. Yeah, Barnsley away, he scores. But that's not our game though. We don't cross. No, I mean, I think as we treat it the same way as we treated Derby and just learn from the mistakes we made at Derby. I don't see a reason why we can't take six points from the next two games. We we seem to have the best manager for that, though, because you, you can tell that Jokanovic won't let them forget that. They have a bad performance. We kind of have the, the best manager that would go, don't let that happen again. You know, that's why we've seen our form being so good over the time. We have, like, one bad performance and then it's gone. Bar Blackburn and Wolves aside, the two those were probably the two you know, not so good performances in a row. But apart from that, we might have one bad performance, but the next one, it's forgotten about straight away. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I like, I love Jokanovic just because he's not afraid to put the, he's not afraid to put his boot in, is he? He's, he's got, he's got mm. balls, shall we say. He's not afraid to change stuff. I like that. But then you also have to sort of look at the, why has he got that tactic or that game plan wrong in the first place sometimes, I think. Mm. I think sometimes you go into specifically away games sometimes and the old home game quite naively. Yeah. Like, he doesn't... He seems to just want to play, as we said, this high-risk, high-reward game. And in some games, you just can't do that. But obviously, it'll be it'll be obviously different in Norwich because we'll have Chris Martin and he'll want to score against his former club, probably. Of course. I think he said in the interview that came out today that whenever he has played against them, he has scored. He hasn't played against them in a couple of years, but... He says he always has plans to score against them, so Good. everyone likes scoring against their former club. Apart, unless it's Derby. Yeah, unless it's Derby. <laughs> In all fairness, that's actually quite a dickish thing to say. I always plan to score against my former clubs. And before we move on to our next point in the podcast, uh, we spoke to Norwich fan Freddie Smith and we asked him for a little bit of a preview on Friday's game. Well, uh, a Norwich City fan chatting to the Firmish podcast. Uh, it's a good job we're friends, Sammy. So you all lads are making the trip to Carrow Road then. Um, before Saturday, my prediction might have been different, but did anyone see that 7-1 battering of Reading coming? So uh, yeah, my confidence is a little bit greater now than it, it might have been before that. Um, thing is, though, that followed two losses on the road without scoring, so... Um, Inconsistency continues for Norwich. At home, though, I guess the thing is at home we do we do take some beatings. So as for your boys, you know, you've shown that you can be beaten on the road, but I guess we've so much to play for. I I you know, the playoffs they seem they seem far more realistic for you at short distance anyway at the moment. And then there's your solid goal scoring record. Um We've got a leaky defence. Then there's the head-to-head as well. Fulham are somewhat of a bogey team for the Canaries. Let's not mention the 6-0 that relegated us all those years ago because it still hurts. <laughs> it's still painful. The wound is still fresh. Oh, I don't know. If Wes Houlihan is on that form again for us because he was taking the mick against Reading, let's be honest, then you could be driving back to southwest London empty-handed. But... All I can predict at the moment is a game with both teams getting on the score sheet. So difficult to call. Um, either way, it could be a good Friday, eh? Uh, cheers, Sammy. All the best. So I thought we'd move on to now a question that I saw raised on Twitter. And I thought it would be an interesting talking point here. We've got five games left to go. We've got some players coming in and out of the side. But who do we think is going to be our most important player or players uh, during the run-in? I just wondered if you brought two or three... Kevin um, McDonald. Yeah, I was going to say, you mentioned Kevin McDonald. I thought you were going to say Scott Malone. You've been so (laughs) complimentary about him. I think you can say like Aite, you could say Aluko or Kenny, but I think those players are kind of replaceable in the system. 
Whereas I think with Martin and McDonald, there's no one else who can sort of fill that, that void if they dropped out of the team. So that's why I'd argue for me that McDonald and Martin are the most important players for us for the rest of the season because no one else can quite do the role they do. When Martin goes out of the team, we are, as we have seen quite a few times, the form does drop off a little bit. We still have been dominating teams without being too incisive and creating a lot of chances. Um, we've yet to see since Fulham have have really kicked on since October what we would be like if McDonald went out the team. And I do fear that it would be... Well, see, we saw in the second half against Wolves, wasn't it, when he got taken off, was it? Yeah, it was, it was. And then we just... There was this, it just got through us so easily. Mm. And I, I, I still don't understand why he got taken off. I thought that was a stupid decision. Yeah, it's that naivety again, isn't it? I, I wonder if he was maybe hoping for what happened at Rotherham when... I know it's Rotherham and, and he not Wolves. Dropped, he dropped Kenny deeper. Yeah. And then we started to make more opportunities. Yeah, mm. I thought he could have been thinking the same as well. But obviously, um, quite a failed plan. What about someone like Stefan Johansson, though, or even maybe Ryan Fredericks on the right-hand side? He's been a revelation since the international break, in my eyes. He seems to have just had two weeks on the beach and found some extra gears again because he was struggling so much in those two home games before I think Fredericks is really important to the system. And don't get me wrong, when when he's out of the so- squad, we do look slightly different. We, do, we don't look as dynamic. and we, By far and away, we don't look as quick on the break. But then after a couple of games on the bounce where he plays 90 minutes and then 90 minutes again, after the game after that, he, he may as well not be there. We saw against Leeds, and then um, in the game, in the couple of games afterwards, his form dropped off drastically, and we really struggled for any sort of incision down that right hand side. So, Fredericks could be really important, but only if he can keep himself fit. It seems like he just completely drains his batteries, and then needs a two weeks off before he comes back again. Um, but then again, I don't know why Djukanovic doesn't just change him and Adoy. They they can play similar roles. Yeah, I, that's why. That's why I'd argue, like, I'd rather, I think it's easier to replace Fredericks in the team with a doy and just slot yeah. him in than try and find someone to play the Stephanie Hansen or Kevin McDonald role. That's why I'd argue maybe the fullbacks, I know they're critical to the system you play, yeah. they're maybe not our most important players in the running. To be fair, I agree completely with Dom. I thought the, the, the discussion was going to go a lot quicker, uh, a lot longer, sorry. Because um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I completely agree that Martin is probably going to be one of our most important players in this run because he knows where the goal is. He can create space, he can hold the ball up. There is just that extra level of quality to him being in the squad than there is if we play without that focal point up top. Um, we talked about it right at the beginning of the season. He's that emotionless striker. He knows when to put the ball in the back of the net and if he's not doing that, he's at least making the keeper make a save. Again, it's just a case of all of our players almost always seem completely interchangeable. And that's not just because of the way we play the, 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 the formation as well. It's the type the, the type of player that we have. If you look at Aluko, um, Aite and Cabano, they're all pretty much the same sort of build. They're all pretty much the same sort of pace. They all have the same sort of technical ability. And it's really different. To, it's really hard to get a differentiator out of those, out of those three. Um, the only one I would say is basically impossible to replace in that front three is Kenny because of the way he plays. He's so... He's so creative for us. He can find spaces. He can hit the long-range shot. Um, he's just got another level of vision. Where if we put Johansson in there, I don't think we'd get this, the same output that we do with Kenny. Mm. Um, that's just my feelings. How would you rotate the side given the short amount of time between the Norwich and Villa games, or would you just hope that it's two games in a short? It's two games in a short space of time. In fact, Villa have got a slightly tougher demands because of the shorter time between their games, would you just run out the same teams? Well, I think, obviously, the centre-halves are sort of in, not interchangeable, but you've got Reem, Callas and Maddo, you can all play. Then at full-backs, you've got Sessegnon, and you've got... I don't. I think Doi is injured because he wasn't in the squad on Saturday. And then the three behind, you've got... Or, or, or maybe Kearney stays in the middle, and you've got Piers on. He's back from injury now. You've got Cabano, you've got Luco, and you've got Ite. So, I think... Like as Mar- obviously Martin McDonald, Callas, and probably Bettinelli will be obviously the main players who will stay in the side. So I can't see a reason why he's going to drop Bettinelli now. I know he's sort of at fault for the last goal, but it's nothing. Button hasn't done any worse this season with. So yeah, but I think yeah, definitely the uh, the wingers or the or the wide players out of the three are very sort of interchangeable in between the two games. And would you change them though? I guess I know it depends on fitness, but um, I would. 
personally. I would like, I, I would switch it in between. I wouldn't maybe, I'd maybe like start Piers on against Villa maybe or bringing, I, I assume he'll play Luko and Aita against Norwich because I believe they're the two best to play in the system. And then maybe Villa, he brings in either Piers on or Cabano in for Aite because I, I don't think Aite is back to fully full fitness mm. yet. And maybe that's the way he switches it around and then plays Ream in one of the games and Maddow in the other. I think it's kind of we're in a privileged situation that, and I do believe this is down to the coaching staff and Yukanovic that they've kind of gone to the extent that they already know if anyone gets injured, they know exactly what they're going to do. So they know if they probably have an idea of what they're going to do if Kenny suddenly gets injured, they'll just slot a Luko in the middle or somewhere like that, um, which is pretty much what they did at the start of the season. Yeah, because Kenny was out wide right Kenny at the beginning, was out wide, and Luke yeah. was in behind Matt Smith. Yeah, the amount of pods we had where we were saying, just put Kenny in the middle, and then finally they done it, and we all started picking up points and scoring <laughs> lots of goals. You kind of a big, big fan of the pod. Um, but, you know, I'm guaranteed they've probably thought about it all already. They probably thought about it two weeks ago when they got to the... that they knew that we had to play Villa and uh, Norwich in quick succession, uh, that they probably got the starting eleven already sorted out barring an injury or bout of bad form um but it is it's so good to the fact that how many times does you kind of actually rotate it just a little bit here and there the one or two players the fact that you know i know you're not his biggest fan Malone, but he we've been winning games within the team that doesn't happen by accident and the fact that we can change malone and sessignon for example and we still play well we can rotate aite and cabano and piazzon and we still play well um and we can, you know, when Martin's out the team and uh, whoever plays instead of him, we still play well. So I'm not fearful that if we rotate for players that haven't actually played that much recently or players that aren't on that good a form, that we'll still play well regardless. And it's kind of a weird situation to be in. OK, so we're nearly coming to the end of this week's podcast. Just some time for your questions, as always. Secretary Jack's not around, so the post bags being shared today between uh, Farrell and Ben. Uh, they're just making sure that everything in the in-tray is all sorted and filed, etc. Uh, we're going to start with you, Farrell. So uh, Richard Smith sent us a, quite an interesting um, email. Okay. Uh, he was talking about a gentleman, Jim, at the weekend, mentioning about how he doesn't really like the, uh, the yellow shirts, um, which Jim. I think are quite fen- uh, fetching. Jim loves to talk about a shirt colour. Oh, does he? Yeah. It's his favourite thing to talk about, apart from Fulham. <laughs> um, so uh, he obviously, uh, Richard, was having a very slow day at work, so decided to work out how how many points we've gained from uh, from the, each shirt that we've we've worn. So he's... Um, <laughs> I know. Whether, whether there's any truth to it or not, I mean, there has been research done in the past about... You know, if you wear a red shirt, you're actually more likely to win. And you remember know, Man United's grey shirt against Southampton? Famous grey shirt. Never, De- that wore def- it, never wore it ever again. Yeah. Wore it for 45 minutes and changed, didn't they? Because they couldn't see each other, apparently. I think it was so, he goes, so he goes, so rather than work this afternoon, I've checked the away results and shirt colours to come up with the following grid. Um, and the key results <laughs> are great. below. This, I mean, there's a full Excel uh, document and everything to look at. I mean, maybe we can publish it and pe- and everyone else can study it from yeah, time yeah, to time. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, <laughs> so, contrary to what I had thought, the average points per game in a yellow shirt are 2.3, in a white shirt, 2.2, and in a red shirt, 1.6. Um, but Goodness do you, me. Do you guys see anything about... In, do you read anything into that? No. No. <laughs> Interestingly. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, we've hardly played in the yellow shirt. So we played against Newcastle in the yellow shirt, didn't we? Brentford. Yes. Burton. Blackburn? No, that was red. Blackburn was red because Kenny like, scored in last yeah. minute. You can see me on the highlights, so no. Wait. Um, you actually saw a goal? I actually did see a goal because it, <laughs> it was right in the last minute. I just about made it back in time. But I just think that's a load of rubbish, really, because I don't really. I, don't think, I just don't think it's. I don't think, I think it's quite. Did you actually see Malone's goal, or you decided that Malone can't play football? So I'm I, just not didn't, I didn't see. think that was Malone. I was like, that can't be Malone. <laughs> it's too good to be Malone. He does further go on to say uh, he's now studied the other team's kits when we're playing them. One thing to, that does stand out is that we shouldn't wear red against teams playing in blue and white stripes. Our <laughs> average in that combination is zero point five points per game. <laughs> Wow, this is deep. Brighton, that's Brighton, isn't it? Reading. So, yeah. Oh, God. Brighton, Wigan, QPR, 
To be fair, he's got a point. Wigan should have beaten them. Maybe those are just disproportionate teams that wear Tesco bags for uh, for kits in the championship. Hey, I'm not going to knock it. I mean, this is taking Moneyball to a totally new level now. I mean, I think call up Tony. I was listening to the the World Football Phone-In the other week and they were discussing about um, iconic kits and there's a team in Colombia, I think, who basically designed their kit to make it easiest to spot your teammates on the pitch. So I think this question is actually quite valid and it does tie in quite nicely with that. Whether I actually think it, it works or not, I don't know. I also know that Brazil, when they train their younger guys... Instead of wearing the bib round the upper body like you would normally in any other country across the world, Brazilians wear it on their head to encourage them to play with their heads up and look for people at eye level. That's a great one. Which is quite cool, isn't it? Uh, That goes back to the famous, and this is probably before your times, but Jimmy Hill was at World Cup 94 and all the Romanian players had bleach blonde their hair um, and Jimmy Hill said that it was because they can see them better. I remember I've seen... Various images of Dan Petrescu with dyed blonde hair. Yeah, it's quite famous. So yeah. that's the key for the run, is it? Yeah, should we all get everyone down to the salon? Well, Kevin Cabano already got uh, bleach blonde. Well, yeah. follow, follow the way. Yeah, but he's, he, he changes it all the time. Sometimes it goes back to his normal hair colour, sometimes it's blonde. So Jack can suggest it to uh, him on Snapchat as they're such good friends on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's got streaks going on with uh, knee skins. Uh, ben, what else is here in the post bag? I love that, actually, from Richard Smith. Thank you for taking the time to do that. We'll post that on Twitter. Despite Dom not thinking it's It was a load of rubbish, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Beef with dummies at every away game. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the post bag next, I've got a question from Hector Worsley. Hector says, Hey, guys, do you think playing in the Prem would benefit or hurt Sessegnon if we got promoted? And would you be happy to see him being loaned out to another championship club if we did get promoted? Keep up the good work, Hector. Thanks, Hector. Yeah, thank you very much. I'd argue that I think he'd actually excel playing Premier League football under us because obviously you kind of just will be a manager. We'll be playing. We won't. We'll be a bit more defensive, I'd imagine, because I don't want to be shipping like another what sixty, seventy goals a season. But yeah, I think because it's he will have maybe not more time on the ball, but I think he will, it will just suit his style of play because he's a wide player. And wide players obviously do excel in the Premier League. You've got so many examples of it. And I don't think you'd need to loan into a championship team. That's that's making our squad worse. So I don't see why we'd do that. I think... I, I'd see you I'd see us obviously I'd say replace Malone and then Sessignon can be back up or I'd argue and push Sessignon further forward if he's playing in the Premier League. I think that'd be where he sort of come in as a backup sort of winger in in the system. But I just I just don't think you need to loan into a championship team if we got promoted. I don't see the point in that. I think it would, it would, it would, his development would be on much more of an upward curve if we kept him within the squad, if we did get up to the Premier League. I also believe that if he would he would also benefit from playing as a wing-back if we went into a, a three and or five in the back formation just because it sort of takes the defensive responsibility away from him and also means he'll be targeted a little bit less. The only thing I would say is that he's still quite small for, for his age. Um... So they, they could target him, even if someone up against the likes of Shakiri, who's quite a physical winger, um, may give him a bit of an issue. But I agree with Dom. I think he would he would definitely flourish in the Prem. It's more of a standoff league, um, much more tactical. And, and Cesar has already proved himself to be quite um, adept at playing a tactical football in game. So, yeah, I agree. I think Prem Prem's the best for him. It's a good question, but... Um, and, and what and what's the argument? Um, do you not think that another season in the championship, where he'd probably get more minutes for us, would only, be the, of more benefit to him? The only way that I think that it wouldn't happen, him getting more minutes in the Premier League, if we if Fulham go up, we suddenly sign Roberto for, Carlos. Exactly, twenty years ago, Roberto Carlos. <laughs> um, you know, I can't think. You know, of other left backs that are around. That unless we have like a shoe in left back week in week out is absolute mustard. That uh, wing backs are extremely hard to come by in the modern mm. game. It's it's really really hard to get your hands on a very very good wing back. So there's like elite level wing backs, you know, Marcelo, Felipe Luis, and stuff like that. But behind them, I mean, you're very very lucky to get a very very good left back. Probably yeah. Danny Rose or Alonso and uh, Moses at Chelsea are an absolute revelation this yeah, year. Yeah, so I, th- I think. Um, Loaning him out would only hurt us and it would benefit someone else. Mm. Any more in the post bag? Yep. Um, we've got one from Twitter. 
Uh, this is from Alex at purepower underscore underscore. Oh, we've had uh, one from Alex before. He comes up with good questions. He does. This one is very, uh, well, straight to the point, um, and it's quite a good one. Why does Callas never get any stick? Mm. That's a good one. I think that he's been starting to get a little bit, and actually we have stuck the knife in a bit today. There is a tendency, though, to always want to hammer Malone and Ream a bit more than Callas. I don't know if it's partially the reputation that Callas has that people maybe see an off performance by Callas as more of a blip and think that Ream and Malone is more of a trend when something tends to go wrong. I don't think that Callas puts too much wrong except the clumsy tackles. And we saw it again at Derby. Another, I wouldn't say needless tackle, but so, but it's rash. And the Blackburn one was rash again. And we've also seen numerous other times where he's kind of got away with them. And actually now he started to be a bit, now he started to be punished a bit more. Um, he definitely needs to up his game though and just start timing those tackles a little bit better. You could argue though that playing with Malone and Ream and then Button behind him as well, that maybe his confidence is shot or it's just a lot more difficult than it looks. I think it's just a, a, something, it could just be a case of he is still a very young centre-back and he's um, trying to shoulder the whole defensive line on himself and and trying to get us up to the, to the big leagues and, you know, it's, it's quite a lot of pressure on him and I also believe that there, Tim Reid ha- ha- hasn't actually had that bad a season. It's just a case of there could be a little stigma attached to him just because he's American and he likes to try and play the ball out of the back and it's a high-risk position. And when, when you do mess up, say it happens, then it's easier for you to be picked up on. Um, but yeah, I think I completely agree with you, Sammy. He's been caught out a few times. He's had some very rash tackles, but um, he was awesome at the start of the season and that's probably why we've slightly overlooked his dip in form just because we remember how good he was against Newcastle an yeah. unbelievable start to the season for us in a way it's kind of easier to pick on the other the other centre backs that we have than than Callas because Callas had such a good start to the season he was pretty much the standout player for those first two or three months really until our form started picking up and because we've seen Reem and Maddell before in the not so good days that it is easier to say Reem and Maddell aren't, you know, to give them a bit of stick. And I've got to agree with Ben. I think Reem has been... I can't really say that Reem has been that bad in comparison the past few months. And it's, I did feel a little bit harsh that he got dropped because not only is he actually a pretty good defender and he has come on leaps and bounds um, over the past year, but he's such a good footballer as well. In the sense, He does actually launch the odd attack here and there that I think does bring a lot to the team. I think with Callas, yeah, as we said, obviously he started so well at the beginning of the season, so so everyone's like, oh, he's we know he's this good, so we he's just had a blip in form, as you said. But I think also that, as you mentioned, of course we've seen how bad, not how bad Maddow and Rima can be, but how they played in like in poorer teams, and Callas for the last two years has been in promotion-chasing teams at Middlesbrough. So we expect these high performances and yeah, I think people just see it more as a blip in form when he doesn't perform, whereas with the others he thinks they're just rubbish. Nicely put. Well, that is the end of today's podcast. A couple of little bit of ad- bits of admin before uh, we finish. First of all, make sure you check out our friend uh, David Preston, the Wizard Harry's brilliant vlog uh, of his trip up to Newcastle United. He tagged us in it. You'll be able to find us. Uh, you'll be able to find it on our Twitter. You won't have to scroll too far down. Really brilliant account of the day. Uh, it was great when we had him on the podcast uh, the other week. So de- definitely make sure you give that a check out. Also, uh, the Fulham Supporters Trust have asked me to say that it's their end of season dinner in May uh, and you can buy your tickets for that now. But who's going to be Secretary Jack today? I think we'll give it to Farrell this week. Okay, Farrell. Oh. We need a title <laughs> for today's podcast. What have you come up with? Um, I was surprised there weren't many uh, button puns for the, because, I mean, it's quite an easy one, but I think maybe we'll go with button left undone. Button left undone. Okay, nice one. Uh, the podcast will be back. Uh, slight change uh, will be back next Tuesday. 
Uh, there is a small possibility there won't be a podcast at all as we're just looking to find a studio. Jack will be in charge of hosting duties for the next two weeks. I've stupidly decided to book a holiday uh, for four games during the run-in of the season. Booked it back in September uh, just as we started to go on our blip and I just didn't think it was anything of serious note was going to happen. So Jack will be in charge of Fulhamish for the next couple of weeks. I'll be back after the Brentford game. Uh, so keep an eye out for that podcast then, looking back at the Norwich and Villa games. And we'll be looking forward to that big Huddersfield game in Yorkshire. So um, Farrell, Ben and Dom, thank you for being on tonight's podcast. It's all right. Thanks for having us on, mate. Thank you. See you next week. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.